Hey guys, and welcome to another video in our introduction to sports card investing series. Uh, today we're going to be going a little more in depth about our partnership with Sports Card Investor, uh, where if you sign up for a subscription today using the promo code GRINDERS, we'll give you 20% off your first payment for all plans. And joining us today is the founder of Sports Card Investor, Jeff Wilson. Uh, Jeff, why don't you introduce yourself and give a little bit of your background for the audience? Sure. Yeah. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I started Sports Card Investor last year when I had gotten back into the sports card market again as an adult. The first time was when I was a kid, like many of us out there trading you know, baseball cards as a kid. But as an adult, I got back into it and I realized quickly that the sports card market had incredible investment potential, that there was the opportunity uh, much like with daily fantasy sports, to pick certain players who you think are going to have a good day or a good week or a good month and to buy up sports cards of those players and then to actually see the values rise and to be able to sell them at the end of that period and realize a return. And of course, there's lots of different strategies you can play. A lot of people like to buy cards and hold them for a very long time. And, and you know, those people can do really, really well with long-term investments. But there's also the shorter-term type flip opportunity as well. So sports card investing in general is kind of a fun and profitable way to, uh, you know, have another, another fun thing to do in the sports world. And, and uh, I've gotten into it, launched my own data tool, which we'll talk about today, and my own YouTube show called Sports Card Investor, uh, and my own website, sportscardinvestor.com, where we talk about these topics every day. Awesome. Uh, also joining us is Brennan Ruby of uh, playernumbers.com. Uh, Brennan, can you uh, give us a little bit about your background? Sure. Yeah. So I started playing DFS uh, a little over eight years ago and um, I had a ton, ton of fun with it. But when my wife and I found out that we were having a kid in October of last year, I you know, kind of quickly realized I needed something that was a little bit less strenuous on my time. Anybody that's you know played NBA DFS knows how much of a grind that can be. And so I started to learn about the sports card market, and uh, I started to realize it was it was a perfect match. It would fill that gap um, pretty nicely. I was able to pick players that I like and, and and all that kinds of stuff, and invest in them in a way that I could really root for them in a way that I did in DFS, just uh, with a little bit more flexibility around time management. So it was you know it's been a, a nice run here over the last uh, several months, um, almost a year now. Uh, to learn the market and and to really apply a lot of those DFS concepts that I learned over those eight years to to really the sports card market. Awesome. And uh, finally, we have uh, Mike Summer, who is of WaxPackHero.com. Mike, can you tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about your your website? Sure. Yeah. So I uh, also have been playing DFS since about 2012, but um, along the way, I've also been a sports card collector since I was a kid. And I, I like Jeff, had a break there for a while um, throughout my 20s and 30s, but got back into collecting in 2015. And along with that, um, I had the entrepreneurial bug bite me a little bit. And so I tried to start approaching um, cards, both for the collecting aspect, but also the buying and selling aspect to see if I might be able to generate a little profit. And so I, I started buying and selling cards in 2016, um, started grinding out a profit through that and having a lot of fun doing it. And then in late 2017, the beginning of 2018, I decided I wanted to um, share some of what I had learned about how much things had changed to help other people get back into the hobby and, and ease their transition back into collecting and buying and selling. And so I started WaxPackHero.com at that point to kind of combine both the hobby and the business side of collecting. And then in late 
2019 in December, I actually started my podcast, the, the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, where I kind of take some of those same concepts and put them in audio form instead of just having the website in written form. Um, I, I started the podcast so that uh, people could could listen in as well. And so just having a lot of fun doing that and a lot of fun buying and selling cards and looking for those opportunities to uh, turn a little profit. Great. Great. And I'm uh, Simon Edwards. I'm an executive producer with Roto Grinders. Uh, I've also been collecting cards my, my whole life. I owned a company with uh, Don West in 2009, 2010, where we were affiliate marketing uh, sports cards. And I stopped collecting for about 10 years up until recently, where we've had more time on our hands to explore other hobbies. And I got into uh, sports cards through through Cam, our uh, Roto-Grinders founder, mentioned uh, that the market was coming back, and I was a little surprised by it. Uh, today, we're going to be going in-depth about Sports Card Investors' website and their great market movers tool. Uh, but first, let's get an overview on the current uh, sports cards landscape for, for people who may be new to what's happening right now. Um, if I was a former uh, sports card investor waking up from a 10-year coma to find modern cards selling for six figures, I'm wondering what the hell happened. So, uh, Jeff, why don't we start with you? What, what's happened over the last 10 years to make sports card collecting a viable investment? Uh, well, I'm wondering what the hell happened, too. <laughs> I had the same reaction when I got back <laughs> into it because, of course, when I was a kid, you know, you could go buy packs at the at the 7-Eleven stores for a couple bucks. And then all of a sudden I got back into it. And then I realized there were products like National Treasures and Flawless, where it's literally $3,000 for one box of 10 cards. I'm like, what? This is insanity. But, you know, the card manufacturers really got something right. That wasn't right, you know, back in the 80s and the 90s when many of us were first collecting sports cards. They have built scarcity and exclusivity into the products. They have really turned sports cards into almost more of a kind of a collectible memorabilia piece or a collectible art piece. And certainly the higher end sports cards like the National Treasures and the Flawless that I just talked about, they all have autographs on the cards. They have patches of the players' jerseys that were worn in actual games. Sometimes they'll even have like, you know, the, a part of the player's name from the jersey that they wore in the NBA Finals. I mean, they're real nice pieces of memorabilia, real nice signatures, real well put together cards. So they really are collector's items much more so than they used to be. And, and they're also much more scarce. And they've started serial numbering a number of cards and building in smaller print runs. And then you have the whole aspect of grading, which didn't exist uh, you know, many years ago, which now in its own form adds scarcity into the market because only certain cards uh, achieve a high enough grade in terms of the quality of the card to be considered a gem mint. And so then those cards become more sought after. So there's a lot of aspects now to the hobby that actually, in my opinion, make it a lot more investable because the process by which cards are produced, the grading of it, the scarcity of the, of the cards, the exclusivity of the cards, these are all great things for investors who want to buy the cards and see them appreciate in value over time. Awesome. And and Mike, what's what's happened in the... Uh, industry as far as consolidation over the last 10, 15 years, which has made a, a, a market environment where quality can take precedence over quantity. Yeah, I think there's a, that was one of the biggest changes that I had to realize when I got back into it. You know, when I left collecting in the late 90s, 
um, mid to late 90s, you know, there were five, six, seven different manufacturers all producing cards for, our, for all the major sports. And there's been a lot of consolidation that's happened since then. You know, um, brands were bought by other brands and the, the leagues went to more of an exclusive license format where each manufacturer has the exclusive rights to produce cards for that particular league. And so we're now in an era where Tops is the only licensed manufacturer for baseball cards. Panini has the exclusive license to produce NASCAR, NBA, and NFL cards. Uh, and Upper Deck has the exclusive license to produce hockey cards. And so there's still multiple brands within those manufacturers. So there's still Donruss, there's still Score, there's still uh, Stadium Club and Bowman for the, the Tops brands. But those licenses are all owned by one manufacturer. And so that the aspect of competition across manufacturers doesn't really exist anymore, which plays into things. Um, but it also allows those manufacturers and those leagues to work more closely together to um, promote the product. Awesome. And, and Brendan, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I was going to say, in addition to everything we've talked about in terms of the cards and the manufacturers themselves, uh, now, nowadays, more so than in the past, there's an ability to transfer cards in a way that we've never had uh, over the Internet through places like uh, ComC, which I'm sure we'll get into in other videos, if not this one, and eBay. And, and now we're starting to see things like Instagram and uh, Facebook Marketplace be a good place to buy and sell cards. And so I think the ability to uh, extend your investment and, and to extend your market outside of just your local card shop has been a a reason why it's had so much momentum now and probably will carry on in the future more so than it did in the nineties when we all saw this go down. Good, good. Um, so Jeff, one of the things that they've done more of recently is creating multiple variants of the same card different color schemes on the card and whatnot to increase uh, scarcity levels within that card. So if, if we're looking at, uh, at market movers, uh, what, what can we see from the market movers charts that kind of illustrates how the different levels of scarcity within those variants uh, can compare when, when buying a individual card? Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And that's one of the things that as new people are getting back into sports card investing, it, it takes them, it takes them sometimes a little while to figure that out. So anytime they, anytime they can use a tool set, to help kind of accelerate their understanding of different sets, that's that's a good thing because uh, it can be a bit confusing, um, you know, certainly uh, with all the different sets and then within the sets, all the different variations. So uh, this is my market mover tool that I just called up here on the screen and I decided to do a search for Zion. And so within my market movers tool right now, we're tracking five different uh, basketball card sets that Zion's cards appear in. And this is of course not all over the course of this year, there will be about 30 different basketball card sets eventually released that will have Zion's cards. But we're tracking some of the more popular ones like Hoops and Optic and Prism. Prism being kind of the most popular, most sought after mid-range set that most basketball card collectors go after. Um, so using my tool, you can see right here, we're tracking a number of the more popular variations of his card in Prism. Now there's, there's variations that are more rare beyond these. These are just the ones that have enough transaction volume on eBay where they're bought and sold every day. They're not super, super rare. 
Um, but you know, you can pick the different variations. So the base variation is going to be his most is most common, but then you've got um, things like silver, which is one that's very sought after by investors. You've got red, white, and blue, which appears in retail packs. And then some of the ice cards or the hyper card, which appears in hobby boxes, for example. So using my tool, you can choose those variations. You can choose if you wanna look at them by a particular grade, like a PSA 10 grade, or if you would prefer to look at them raw, which means ungraded. And you can select those things and then you can do a search. And it will take a second because Zion in particular has a ton of sales volume. So it's calling up the whole history of the sales volume of those cards. But one thing that I always like to look at, and this is one of the advantages that my tool gives you, is uh, to look at what cards are starting to trend upwards of a particular player and what other cards have maybe not caught up as much recently. So even in the last few days here, we've seen certainly an uptick in this top line, which is Zion's silver raw card. And by the way, a cool feature of the Market Movers tool to help you figure out what card is which is you can just click on it and you can see a photo of exactly what that card looks like. So a new collector or investor can begin to understand. You can see that that card's been trending up quite a bit in recent days. You can also see that this hyper card has been trending up, that's what that one looks like, has been trending up in recent days as well. But as we look down here to the lower lines, we're not really seeing that same type of impact uh, uptick as much with his base card or his red, white, and blue card. And so sometimes I'll notice a pattern in the software where you'll see a certain variation of a player's card really, really start to take off on the high end. Then what you'll notice is, a, is in the following days, the same cards in the lower end also start to take off, but the high end card typically starts the movement. And so using software like this, it's, it's interesting because you can start to see high end cards that take off, and then you can look at the low end variations like the base, and look at the chart for that. And perhaps there's some buying opportunities there because the lower cards may, may simply have not yet started to follow the pattern of what the higher end, end variations are doing. Awesome. And, um, you know, with, with the current eBay marketplace dictating uh, prices and price movements and cards, monthly price guides have pretty much become obsolete. So what, what does market movers offer people that may be missing in the, in the marketplace right now as far as trying to determine value in these, in these cards? Yeah, so we're the only tool in the marketplace. First of all, we take all of eBay's sales data. So we, we, eBay is the largest, by far the largest online marketplace to buy and sell sports cards. So we use their sales data because eBay sales data gives you the richest understanding of price changes in the market. Even if you're going to buy and sell cards on other websites like ComC, check out my cards, which was mentioned, or through Facebook groups, um, st you can still use the data from eBay to give you a general understanding of the price in the market that you should be buying through other sites as well. So we take all of eBay's sales data and we bring it into the tool and then we analyze the patterns and the changes. And this is something that no other tool does. You can for free go onto eBay's website and you can do a search and then you can, eBay has a, a filter where you can search for completed items and it will show you what that particular card sold for over the last 90 days. And so that's useful information if you're looking at one particular card at a time. But what Market Movers does that eBay can't do and no other tool can do is it is taking all of the data across thousands of sports cards and bringing them all together into one platform so you can put together all of these comparison charts. And you can also do really neat things like if you go into the price movements table 
it will actually consolidate all of the uh, players' cards to show you the price movement across all of their cards. So, for example, I can see here that in the last seven days, Ken Griffey Jr.'s cards are up 70.6% in the last seven days. And I can expand this, and I can see that his upper deck 1989 PSA 10 is actually up 82% while his uh, FLIR is up 27% and his Donruss is up 17%. And I can click and say, wow, what's going on with this Ken Griffey Jr. upper deck uh, you know, PSA 10 card? I can click over to the chart and see, yep, look at that. I mean, it's been an amazing spike in that card over the course of the last week. Um, and so you know, the fact that you can look at cards across the whole market see which ones are moving, click into them, and instantly see a pricing charts, not something you can do anywhere else other than right now my Market Movers data tool. Awesome. Uh, Brendan, we were talking earlier uh, before the show started about some cards that you've purchased recently. Is there anything you'd like to ask, ask Jeff regarding the, the value of those cards and maybe how uh, Market Movers can give you an indication of, of, of like whether you got a, a good price on them? Sure. Yeah. Just in, in general, um, I know that a lot of us in the market focus on the rookie cards and, and rightfully so. Those are the most valuable and the most important. Uh, but one thing I've been doing now is researching uh, markets on guys like Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James who have entered a new team and a new market and, um, you know, trying to find good deals on essentially their rookie card for that team. Is that something that has value? Is that unproven so far? Um, you know, for instance, last year's LeBron James was the first time you could get him a Lakers jersey. This year you've got uh, Kawhi Leonard and a Clippers jersey. Are those cards you're targeting? Do you think there's value there? Or is rookie, is it all or nothing in the, the rookie space? No, I 100% I think there's value there, especially if the player goes on to win a championship with that team or if they have a very long, fruitful career with that team. That's what it's going to take, right? Mm -hmm. um, but with LeBron or with Kawhi, certainly that's very possible or perhaps, you know, Kevin Durant with the, with the Nets or something of that nature, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, absolutely. And we're seeing that type of price movement in the marketplace as well. Like, for example, if I, if I look up LeBron's uh, 2018 optic card, so and look at all the variations of, LeBron, of LeBron's cards. It's incredible. But if I look up his, uh, his hollow optic card, um, let's look at the PSA 10 variation. Um, this is his 2018 hollow optic card. And there's, there's a lot of interest in this card. There's a lot of, I mean, this card's an extremely, you know, this is a thousand dollar card now, um, even though, um, even though it's not really his true rookie card because of the fact that it's his very first card in a Lakers uniform. Um, this card over the last 90 days is up 36%. So, um, you know, there's, there's definitely the ability to, make money. I was just looking at um, Anthony Davis's 2019 optic hollow card, uh, which is uh, about doubled over the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, same premise as Anthony Davis's first card in a Lakers jersey. So, you know, we sometimes call those, um, instead of their true rookie cards, uh, in this case with LeBron or with Anthony Davis, it's their Lakers rookie card uh, because it's, you know, it's his first card in a Lakers jersey. So, no, I think that could be an absolutely a great strategy. Cool. Um, Mike, did you have anything to uh, to add or ask? I, I was just going to say, I think one of the, the things that I liked, especially from that Zion example that you showed, is that it can, it can in one screen show 
the movement for multiple variations of a, of a card at once. And, and with today's serial numbering and that varying levels of scarcity that we're seeing, that can be one of the more challenging aspects to understand and to understand quickly. And so to see that relationship between the, the different versions of a card all on one screen to see how they're moving, which is moving first and which might have an opportunity to get some of that, that lag, I think that's a, a powerful component to the tool. And so I was just curious if there's anything that you've done to help identify which of those different versions seem to be more popular than others, because it doesn't, it's not always that the more rare card is the more valuable card. You know, some of those cards have um, a higher level of popularity, even though they're one of the more common cards. Is, is there anything that you've done to kind of <clears throat> flush that out over multiple cards or multiple product lines? Yeah, and that's a great point. And that's one of the, that's another one of those little nuances of the sports card investing world that takes takes a little while for people to understand and learn is that while scarcity definitely plays a role in pricing, it's not always the absolute dictator of price. And you know, in basketball in particular, there's no truer example of that than looking at the prism cards and particularly prism silver which is a very sought after card by many sports card investors, but it's actually, there, it's a little more common of a card than some of the other prism variations like prism green, which is not as expensive because it's not as just sought after uh, by investors. So, um, you know, you have, to, you have to kind of understand that. One way you can start to understand some of that is by looking at sales volume. And another kind of neat aspect of the market movers tool are these sales volume charts. So you can come in here anytime and you can look at, consolidated across the hobby um, who the top sellers across the hobby are. And this is all the number of sales of that player's card on eBay over the course of the last seven days uh, based upon the cards that we're tracking in our database. So this is not every single card of these people. Uh, this is their kind of their key card. So you can see obviously someone like Jordan, he's moved all the way up into second place on our list. Whereas Jordan was all previously, if you had gone back a few months ago, he was always down out of the top 10. But obviously, there's been so much interest in the last dance documentary that not only has Jordan's sales volume spiked, but his uh, prices have spiked along with it over the course of the last few weeks. It's been incredible to see. But you know, you could take, for example, someone like Zion, if I click this plus button here, it's going to show me every single one of his cards that we're tracking and how many of those were sold in the last seven days. So you can see right here, that his base card is the most popular. Of course, there's, there's more of those available for sale, and that's one of the reasons why. His blue velocity and his red, white, and blue, the blue velocity from Optic and the red, white, and blue from Prism are the next most popular, followed by the silver from Prism and Raw. And so anyway, you can kind of come down here, and this gives you an idea of the scarcity because you should get into the lower numbers. That generally means that there's not as many of those cards available on the market, and that's why you're not seeing as many sales of those cards you know, take place. Um, another interesting pattern that you can see, kind of building on what you just said, Mike, uh, when you look comparing different variations to each other, you can also compare different grades to each other. So if we switch over, let's say, to football, and we call up a Patrick Mahomes, and let's look at his Prism Football Silver card, it's sometimes interesting to compare his card in different, in different uh, variations, like a, or a different grades, rather. So like a BGS 9.5, a PSA 10, a PSA 9. And some players will have in here with, with grades well beyond those. Um, but these are the three most common grades. 
Um, and so, you know, for this card in particular, now I can see the pattern that all of his various grades are following. And what you will often see is that the PSA 10 pattern and the PSA 9 pattern are very similar. You see upticks and downticks at the same time. But sometimes what you'll see is that the PSA 10 pattern starts to go up and the PSA 9 pattern has stayed flat. And very much like how certain variations kind of lead the way from a pricing perspective, certain grades, PSA 10 in particular, leads the way from a pricing perspective when it comes to grades. So if you're starting to look at a graph and you're starting to see like right here, we've seen quite an uptick in Mahomes PSA 10 in recent days. That's the top line on the graph. If I were to look at this a couple days from now and that were to continue to go up, but this bottom line here, the yellow line, which is this PSA 9, if that were to remain relatively flat, that probably indicates a buying opportunity on this PSA 9 card because chances are that the PSA 9 will eventually start to follow a similar pattern to the PSA 10 in terms of price escalation. Nice. And uh, Jeff, one of the other aspects of the market mover tool that can be a valuable uh, part of it is the price movements list. Can you, uh, can you go over the price movements list and the, uh, the relevance of that? Yeah, so this is, uh, this is where it is showing um, little, a little bit what we looked at earlier, like with the Ken Griffey Jr. card, where it's showing a player's overall, how they're trending up and down. And you can look over seven days, 14 days, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Um, you know, so if we look over the last 90, for example, we really get a great idea of who the hottest guys in the hobby overall have been. And it's, it's actually no surprise that Scottie Pippen is number one and Dennis Rodman is number two. And Michael Jordan's pretty far up here as well. It's just that his cards were already, you know, fairly expensive to begin with. Um, so he doesn't have as quite as big of a percentage gain as someone like Scottie Pippen does. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting to look at the patterns. Now, a pattern that you could have detected had you been looking at this screen a month ago was that Scottie Pippen's cards really had started to trend. And we started to see him emerge on this leaderboard as one of the top price movement guys in the hobby whereas Dennis Rodman's cards had not started to trend yet. And if we look at, if we do like a comparison here, if we look at, let's say, Scottie Pippen's PSA 9, uh, I'm going to open that in a new window, and then we look at Dennis Rodman's PSA 9, um, you can kind of see, see what I'm talking about here, because if you can see Scottie Pippen really started to spike right around, uh, really right around here. So around uh, the 30th of March is when he started his really huge climb up to the start of this documentary. And if we look over at Dennis Robin, he didn't start to climb until April the 5th. So it was a week after Scottie Pippen that people, you know, people started buying Michael Jordan and then they started buying Scottie Pippen because they were anticipating this documentary. And then it was a whole week later until some people started saying, oh, well, heck, if we're buying Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and their prices are all going through the roof, maybe we should also buy Dennis Robin because his might do the same. Sure enough, they have but it took people an extra week to figure that one out. So if you were kind of watching the charts of a Michael Jordan, and then you started seeing the Scottie Pippen, then again, you could kind of think about, well, who might be next? And in this case, it was Dennis Rodman. That's awesome. Yeah, so we've, we've gotten a really good overview of what the Market Mover tool is and how it can help you with your investments. Uh, again, if you subscribe today to Sports Investor, sportscardinvestor.com and use the promo code grinders, you're going to get 20% off your first payment for all plans. Let's just, uh, let's just give our conclusions for uh, this episode. Brennan, we'll start with you. 
Sure. Yeah. The, the market movers tool is, is really powerful. And I think that last example kind of hits on something that uh, not a lot of people might realize is uh, the markets can move on information and on events that are outside of the, the regularly scheduled NBA season. We saw a documentary come out about that Chicago Bulls team and about those three players being heavily focused on it and start in and that's driven their prices up. And so um, if you can think outside the box and really do your research, there's opportunities out there uh, more than just the simple rookies and, and second year guys. I think there's definitely an opportunity that uh, with the help of tools like uh, market movers and the videos that we're doing, I think there's definitely opportunities that we can uh, take advantage of. Awesome. Uh, Mike, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think from my perspective, you know, when you think about the DFS world, we know that having access to data helps you have that much more of an advantage in building your lineups. And that's why we've got the lineup builder tools. That's why we've got all of the other stat aggregators and things like that that are built into the premium tools. The same thing holds true when we're talking about buying and selling cards and access to the data helps. And the market movers tool is something that I think is one of those things that can help you consume that data, make it consumable for you to be able to find ways to take action instead of having to do it piece by piece, card by card, search by search, like Jeff outlined, having access to the market movers tool aggregates that data in a similar way to make it consumable and actionable. Good point. Yeah. And, uh, and Jeff, uh, do you have uh, anything further you'd like to add? I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll just say that I think a lot of the characteristics that make somebody a good daily fantasy sports player uh, can make them good in the sports card investment world. I mean, you know, understanding of the players, understanding of how much playing time they might get, understanding of how of what their statistics might look like. You know, just, you know, you see the, the market is so dynamic. You see prices changing every single day. It only takes, in a lot of cases, it only takes one really big game by a player in order to see their prices go up 50% overnight. And so, you know, I think as a, I think a fantasy sports uh, player has the advantage of having that knowledge and, you know, being able to translate some of that knowledge over into the sports card arena, um, I think could be a really compelling thing. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for joining us guys. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the video and we'll have another one uh, coming out pretty soon. So stick around. Thanks. Mm -hmm.